0: Amen. All right. Well, already a great morning. Already an encouraging morning. Uh, I am always so encouraged to be able to take communion, reflect on the the life, death, resurrection of Christ, and what it accomplishes for us. To sing with you and to hear the voices singing out the praise to God. It's an encouragement. I am uh, thrilled uh, to be continually gathering with you. It's a great blessing. And to be looking at God's Word and God's work. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We're still making our way right through it. We're we're learning what Jesus has done, what He has taught. And this morning, uh, we're going to be back into the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. I want you to turn there. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you what we learned in Mark chapter 1. What we learned in Mark chapter 1 is that God has a message for the world, for all the world to hear. And that message is summarized in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where Jesus comes preaching. And the message that he's preaching is repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. That word literally could be translated change your mind. Change your mind about who God is. Don't think of him as irrelevant and distant. Think of him as the most relevant reality of your life. Change your mind about your sin. Don't think of it as trivial and meaningless. See it as a rebellious act of cosmic treason of the creator of the universe. Change your mind about Jesus. Don't see him as merely a good teacher. See him as king of kings and lord of lords and submit your life to him. Change your mind. That's repentance. That's the message that Jesus brings. I think that's a summary message of all that he teaches. If you were to summarize God's message to all humanity, it is repent. That's what he's been teaching. Now, last week, we got to one of his parables, the first parable, and it's the critical parable. Jesus taught that it's the parable that if you can understand this one, you can understand all of them. And it's the parable of the sower. And many of us have probably already heard this. And if you were here last week, you heard us kind of go over and explain some of the main ideas. Uh, What we found was this. Let me just recap it, and then I'll tell you kind of a refresher, some of the things we, we thought about, and then we'll get back into our text again and talk about the soils again this morning. The big idea that we encountered in the text was this. You remember? That the state of your soul is revealed in the way you hear God's word. The state of your soul is revealed by the way you listen to, the way you hear God's word. That's the point of the soil parable here. He tells of four different soils each one responding to the seed of God's Word in a different way. The first soil is the path, and the seed gets sown on the path, and immediately before the path could even uh, take in the seed and the seed could produce any fruit, immediately Satan swoops in and takes the seed away, takes the Word away so the people actually don't change at all. They are distracted. They don't really hear the Word. They certainly don't respond, respond to it. The second soil is the rocky soil. That's where the, the seed of God's Word falls under the rocky soil, and it begins to sprout up, but it has no root. And so it doesn't actually last very long. As soon as the wind blows, as soon as the weather gets harsh, the seed ends up dying because it has no root in itself. The third soil is the seed that's thrown on the, so- the thorny soil. Remember that? And that's the soil that has uh, the seed kind of actually grows a little bit. It begins to blossom, but there's all these thorny weeds there that choke out the life of that plant and so it dies the last soil is the soil that's described as the good soil and when the word of god lands on good soil that is to say it lands on good hearts the right attitude heart when the word of god lands there it receives the word it accepts the word and it bears fruit i remind you these, these soils are not, you know, ma- immature soils and then mature soils. It's, it's not, you know, these are soils that are saved. They just don't bear fruit. Uh, he's not talking about three out of the four soils are described as soils who have not responded rightly to the message of repentance that Jesus is bringing. You follow? Three out of four are representing people who are actually not saved. They are describing people who are not right with God. They are people who have heard the word with their ears, but it has not gone into their hearts, so they have not heard it rightly. And so last week we discussed these things. We talked about that this is a matter of life and death to make sure you hear the word of God. We talked about how you can't grow tired of hearing God's word because some of the soils it's like at first they're really excited about it, but as time goes on, they drift away. And so we asked the question, are you drifting away? We talked about the threats that go with listening to God's word, that Satan is against you, uh, that there are threats of the cares and desires and the distractions of the world. Those are real threats. And then we talked about how true listening, uh, the, the mark of someone who is truly saved, who, who truly hears the message that God brings us, how do you know? It's, it's the evidence of fruit. In verse 20, those who really hear the word bear fruit. The state of your soul, whether you're a Peter or a Judas, is revealed by how you listen to God's word. Now, I got two questions this morning that we're going to try to answer simple questions, but hopefully the Lord will use these to help you understand what His Word is doing and also where you're at in responding to it. The two questions are this. First, which soil are you? We're going to go through the soils and that question is going to be before us. We want to kind of push this into the realm of application and force you to ask the question because we all got to ask it. That's the point. We got to make sure we're hearing what Jesus is saying which soil are you and the second question is how can i prepare to hear god's word do you really hear it and if you want to hear it how can you ensure that you're going to hear god's word let's uh, answer that first question which soil are you let's look at the soils again turn to verse 15 chapter 4 verse 15 and i'm going to ask you this one we're going to start with this one are you like the path? Okay, let's read it again. Verse 15 says, These are the ones sown along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So that's a brief description of the first soil. And I put this before you and I ask, is this you? Some of you may be like this soil. You may have come to church for several years, and you've heard hundreds, maybe thousands of sermons. But when you reflect upon all the sermons you've heard and all the theology you've taken in, all the messages that have come out from those pulpits that you've sat under, when you reflect on it, you realize they've never really made any real, true impact on your life. You've heard it. Just as the soil actually got the seed that was thrown to it, it heard it, you listened to them, but it maybe never seemed relevant to you. Maybe other people who are particularly needy find this stuff interesting, but you've never really found it as related to you. Maybe you've become an expert at applying the Word of God to that guy. You ever done that? This is a very convicting point. They need to hear it. Well, that would be acting like a a seed that's thrown on the path, or acting like a soil, I should say. You apply, perhaps, but to other people's lives and never pause to think of your own heart and your own response to the revealed Word of God. Now, let me pull back the veil a little bit of what's happening here. What happens, Jesus says, is that there's more than meets the eye. This is more. It's more than than you've just been distracted. It's more than just the sermon went over your head, you didn't get it. It's more than that. In fact, if we were to peel away some of the stuff we can see and look into the realm of the spirits, right? Look into the spiritual realm that Christ, uh, His Word shows us is actually a real reality. We would see in verse 15 that Satan is at work. You guys believe that? A preacher gets up, and he's intent on sharing the Word of God. And right here, Jesus says that there's an enemy afoot. And so if we had to peel back the veil a little bit, let, let's get in on a little secret here. Satan is active. He's Satan, Satan is active in churches. And his mission is to stop you from hearing the Word of God, whether that be by distraction, whether that be by disruption, whether that be by discouragement whether that be by confusion he is smart he is in a sense scheming he has schemes the bible says he's cunning and skillfully and silently and with great subtlety satan works against the church by snatching the word away before people ever get a chance to really hear it satan you see that word immediately comes and takes away the word when it's sown in them Are you this soil? How frequently do you hear sermons and go home and make no application to your life? How often do you listen to a good message, yawn, and move on to the next thing? Let me just tell you, that means that you have an enemy here. This is not just you being kind of reckless or careless with the Word of God. There's an enemy who hates you, who's against you, who wants to destroy your soul, and what that enemy is working to do is to ensure that you don't hear the word of God. And so that's what he does. Are you that soil? If you have a moment of clarity right now and you're realizing, man, that's me. I've, I've never really taken this seriously. Maybe you're a child and you've grown up in a Christian home and you've always thought that this is for your parents. Uh, my parents need to hear this. Well, let me just tell you, this is for you, child. This is for you. If you've heard the word have you heard the sermons you're hearing them again and again but you still don't think it really applies to you if you have if you understand that the word of god is for you right now you can cry out to god and ask for help for protection from the enemy and he will hear your prayers let's pray for protection that our people will come and really hear the word because satan's out for us and if you have a moment of clarity cry out to jesus seek his help. He's stronger than Satan. Come to him with repentance and faith. Ask him to remove the veil that he might open your eyes, that you might see, that you might truly hear. Are you the the path? Let's look at this next soil. Are you, here's our second question, are you the rocky ground? Verse 16. Look at verse 16. These are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, Immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You guys can immediately see the difference between this and the last soil, right? This soil and the last one. The difference is not in the fact that one heard the word and one didn't, they both are hearing the word. But the response of the second one is a response that's positive. You see that? Yeah, you see that word? It's even the word joy. It's describing how the person responds to the word of God. They hear it, and they respond with joy. This is amazing. This is good news. I want to repent. I want to follow Jesus. And they're uh, for a time, at least, they're saying, we're in. This sounds great. I want to take up my cross. I want to follow Jesus. I want to jump all in. But what's the distinction? You see it there? The ones that are sown on the rocky ground, they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But verse 17, they have no root in themselves. They don't last. They last for a little while. There may be people here this morning that are seeds sown on rocky soil. You might be rocky soil. And there might be a part of you that's thinking yeah this is great this is exciting i want to be in i'm i'm following jesus but here jesus is saying yeah there's some people who talk that big game but when it comes down to it as soon as tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they fall away they have no root in themselves i want to remind you just a little bit about the context that mark is writing it okay when mark was writing this do you remember who the Caesar was? It was Nero. Okay, So the audience, the first audience that's reading the Gospel of Mark are Christians under threat of persecution by Nero himself, who is known for his uh, crazy, kind of insane uh, antagonism against Christians. I mean, Nero's bloodlust is the stuff of legends. If you read about the kind of things he did to Christians, It'll send, send shivers down your spine. I mean, that's the kind of uh, leader he was in Rome back in the day that this letter was being written. The readers would have known that tribulation and persecution—those two words that Jesus describes there—are real for Christ's followers. And what Je- what they would have heard would be maybe a little bit different from what us you know 21st century Americans here, when we read that tribulation and persecution often seem so far distant from our reality but it wouldn't have been from the first readers and the the readers would have you know they're reading this and they're 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 going okay if persecution arises if persecution comes if tribulation comes and Nero and his minions are bearing down on us we cannot let go of the word that has been given to us we will die if necessary we won't fall away And what Jesus is saying is that the people who fall away because there's a threat, because there's discomfort, because it's inconvenient, because there's tribulation, because there's persecution, those people are giving evidence to the fact that they've never really heard the message. They've never really heard the message. See, this is a kind of soil. The rocky soil is the kind of soil that can live off the enthusiasm of others. But as soon as those others turn around and face against them, They don't have the conviction in and of themselves to stand strong. As long as it's convenient, they'll hold on to the gospel. As long as it's socially acceptable, they'll hold on to the gospel. But as soon as holding on to the gospel makes them an enemy of the people, they're going to let it go. We described this last week as, as second handing, being a second hander. It's the kind of person that lives off other people's convictions. Uh, that person's really convicted that this is true, therefore I believe it. You don't want to be a second-hander. You want to have conviction in and of yourself. You want to have personal, spirit-given conviction that this is true, that this is reality, that, that if everyone else, if the entire world goes this way telling me this isn't true, I'm still standing here. That's the kind of Christians that Jesus is describing when he says they hear the word of God, they stand strong, They don't leave because the root is deep. It's the opposite. The rocky soil are people who have no root. They're second-handers. They're building their lives off the enthusiasm of other Christians because they believe it, because they have conviction, because they're excited about it. I guess I should be too. One author describes one of her characters in one of her novels this way, and I thought it's a great description of some second-hand type Christians who never really— hear the word for themselves, but are always living off the enthusiasm and conviction of others. She describes one of her authors like this. What was his aim in life? Greatness, in other people's eyes. Fame, admiration, envy, all that which come from others. Others dictated his convictions, which he did not hold, but he was satisfied that others believed he held them. Others were his motive, power, and his prime concern. He didn't want to be great, but to be thought of as great. He didn't want to build, but to be admired as a builder. He borrowed from others in order to make an impression on others. There are some who are borrowing Christianity to make an impression on others, but they have no root in themselves, as Jesus says. Are you the rocky soil? The rocky soil that receives it with joy because certain people that you admire hold it Certain people that you want to impress believe it, but you haven't really owned it. You have no root. Is that you? If it is, and you have a moment of clarity right now, you can repent, and you can turn, and you can embrace Christ with faith and conviction and say, this is true, and I'm banking my eternity on it. And I would invite you to do that even right now. And not be a rocky soil anymore, but be the good soil that really does hear and accept it. Let's move to the third soil. Are you the thorny soil? Let's read verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This soil seems to take in that seed even longer than the previous soil. The rocky soil has it for a little while, but as soon as it sprouts out, as soon as the tribulation comes, it's gone. This soil seems to take in that seed for a while. And that seed begins to grow and blossom. But there's no fruit. Why? Because it's being choked out by thorns. What are the thorns? Notice what they are. He mentions three things. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things. Let me ask you something. Are cares wrong to have? Is wealth bad to have? desires for other things are those wrong what's fascinating about this i want you to notice none of these things are bad things in other words though the the kinds of things that choke out the word from your life will not be outrightly identified as evil see that it'll be things that are things you can care about things you can desire even wealth that you can be pursuing. It's not bad to have wealth. But there's a deceitfulness of wealth that Jesus describes here. None of these. This is the amazing thing. There are It's a possible that good things become ultimate things. Become things that crowd out your life. And end up choking out the word. Go back to last week. Think about Mary and Martha. You remember that? Mary and Martha. Both with Jesus. What is Martha doing? Is she sinning against Jesus? Is she blaspheming him? No, she's serving. She's serving. And what does Jesus say? She says, Mary has chosen the right thing, the one thing, the necessary thing. But you, Martha, you've misprioritized. Now play that out over a life. Someone who's continually choosing good things over the ultimate thing. Good things over the ultimate thing what happens is it chokes out the word of God. See, here's here's the, here's why this is so subtle, by the way. If you saw me visiting a drug dealer and paying money and buying drugs and pocketing them and driving home, you'd have a pretty good basis to confront me, right? I hope so. I hope you'd come talk to me about that. Okay? If I do something like that, let me know that I'm running the wrong, all right? Let me know if that's sin. Okay? If anybody is is doing an outright sin, it's kind of obvious. But what about the person who's consistently misprioritizing the word of God? Not with outrightly sinful things, with good things. That's really hard to talk about that with them, isn't it? Because it's not like you're all that clear on what they're doing. See, imagine the person who's not walking toward a sheer cliff of sin that they just plunge down. But imagine the person who's walking down that slow descent, that subtle decline. That it's not something that's going to happen immediately, but if you examine the trajectory of their life, they're slowly but surely misprioritizing the Word of God. It sometimes looks like this, you know, Church attendance is starting to get spotty because, uh, not bad reasons, well, we're traveling a lot, that way my work gets in the way, well we got late nights here, it's extra homework there, it's baseball, it's football, it's basketball, and hey, we don't want to be legalistic and you know be so firm on certain things that the Bible doesn't really give us clear cut mandates, And so what sometimes can happen is people can just, over time, their prioritization of the Word of God slides down lower and lower on the totem pole of things to do. Life becomes more organized around conveniences, more organized around comforts. My life is more organized around things I want to do, things I want to achieve, things I want to pursue. I want to attain this certain standard of living. Buying these toys isn't a sin, right? It's not. You play that out over the long haul and you realize a decade later, two decades perhaps, toward the end of your life, that your faith, your desire to hear the Word has been choked out by the cares of the world. The desire for riches. The desire for other things. And so I asked you that that last week, and I'll ask you again As time passes and you grow older, you Christians who are wanting to grow older in Christ and more mature in Christ, let me ask you, how's your hunger for the Word of God? Is that growing along with your age? Or does the passage of time result in a less appetite, a smaller appetite? You're not as hungry. You already know that stuff. There's other things more important, your career, your finances, Are you fizzling out, or are you getting fired up with the passage of years? Jesus is describing the kind of person who has great intentions all his life, but by the end, his faith fizzles out because he has been crowded out. The Word has been crowded out by all the good things in life. I like what Steve Lawson said. It's memorable. A faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the first. Say that ten times fast. A faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the first. You don't make it to the end. It's a sign you've never really heard it. You never really got it. And so let's look at the last soil. Are you the good soil? Look at verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The good soil does three things. Note them. They hear the Word. The good soil loves to hear the Word. But that's not what distinguishes them from the others because the others hear the Word too. Secondly, they accept the Word. You see that there? That's more than an intellectual agreement with the Word of God. That's more than saying, all right, thumbs up, that's good, that's true. It's more than that because three... Look at the third thing. They bear fruit. Hearing the word leads to accepting the word leads to bearing fruit from the word. It is, this is really, let's, let's be connecting this back to the original point we made at the very beginning. This is what repentance looks like. Repentance is not mere intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. Repentance is, I hear it. I embrace it. This is true. Now I reorient my entire life around this. And thus I'm going to bear fruit. And I'm not just going to bear a little fruit. I'm going to bear 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. How do you know that you have accepted the Word of God? I'll give you an illustration. Imagine I stand up here. And I say, all right, friends. We've, it's been made clear to me. It's come to my attention that planted under this parking lot is a bomb." That bomb is set to go off in 30 seconds. And everyone who remains here will be incinerated in 30 seconds. If I just announce that, how do I know who actually believes me? Who's getting up and scrambling out of this parking lot? That's the person who believes me. If I stand here and go, listen guys, we've got 20 seconds now. And all of y'all are just standing there like you are right now, or sitting there, none of you believe me, right? No one believes me, because you don't have any good basis to believe me. There isn't a bomb. By the way, let me just be clear, there's no bomb under the parking lot. You don't need to get up and run. But if you did believe me, you would get up and you'd leave. The same is true when the Word of God goes out. If you believe it, you receive it, you accept it, and you change your life, you do something about it, you can't remain the same. And that's what he's getting at. This is one of the parables that Jesus often told parables just to shock you. And so when he gets this, this doesn't make sense to us uh, because many of us are not farmers and we're not familiar with yield and how much a a harvest should yield. But what he says, 30-fold. He bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. In in the days that Jesus was speaking, if a farmer got an 8-fold return on his harvest, that was a full harvest. That was a remarkable harvest to have an eightfold return. If you got a tenfold return, you were bursting at the seams with good fruit from your harvest. Jesus is saying follow this. People who hear the word of God truly, they respond to it with extraordinary fruit. This doesn't mean that everyone will bear fruit the same. Okay, You notice even there's a distinction. There's some that'll bear 30, some 60, some 100. That doesn't mean that, that some are saved more than others. But God has designated some to bear more, some to bear less. That's not anything we boast in. It's all God's work anyway. But his point is saying that even the people who are bearing the least fruit are bearing noticeable fruit. Noticeable fruit. And that is to say that if people say they have heard the gospel and they've repented, but then they also live a life that has No connection to the Word of God. No obedience to the Word of God. No fruit uh, that's being born in their life. You know what? Jesus' parable is saying that they actually haven't heard the Word. Why? Because the one who has truly heard it, truly accepted it, is the one who bears noticeable fruit. Noticeable fruit. The Word of God is transformative. The Word of God brings a change in your life. For everyone who hears it by faith, I don't want to discourage you, those of you who might be extra sensitive and you're sitting here going, oh, I don't really bear that much fruit. This is partially why you have a church family around you to speak into your life and to help you see some of the fruit you are bearing. I have know of some people, they got saved, they were so on fire for the Lord, and then they started struggling with their own sin, and then immediately they began to question whether they were actually saved or not. And I and others had to get into this person's life and say, no, look at the fruit. We're seeing it. It's abundant. But now that you're aware of what God's Word teaches, you're also aware of your own sin. Like you've never been, you're more aware of your sin. And so that discourages you. But be encouraged. There is fruit. So I don't want to discourage any of you. You might think you're not having enough fruit. I would encourage you to talk to other Christians about this so they can encourage you by pointing out the true fruit that is in your life. But if there is, in fact, no fruit, and you do have an honest friend to speak into your life, and that person speaks into your life and says, hey, brother, or hey, sister, I haven't seen any fruit, that that you've maybe even professed to be a believer for a long time, and maybe you've professed to repent, but there's no fruit. I just don't know if you love the Lord. There's no evidence that you want to hear His Word. You don't attend any gospel preaching church. You don't participate in any fellowship of the body of Christ. You have no desire to be in the lives of other Christians. All of those are evidences that you're not bearing any fruit. And if that's the case, I have the obligation to lovingly tell you, brother, sister, I don't know if you've heard yet. But here's the good news you could hear now. And you could hear this maybe for the first time. And you could repent and reorient your life around the risen Christ and be saved. The good fruit is born by people who are hearing the Word of God. How do we do this? I'm going to rattle off some things. If you're good soil, if you want to be good soil, and you want to continually grow in your ability to hear, to listen, I want to give you some more practical things that you can think about doing to ensure you're hearing the Word on a regular basis, and not just with your ears, but with your heart, okay? Let's get practical. We're going to jump out of the text a little bit, and we're going to use a little bit of uh, uh, common sense, and we're going to point to somehow some scriptures that help us understand how we ought to be regularly hearing the Word. Here's number one. Uh, Ways to help you hear the Word. This is our second question, remember. How can I prepare to hear the Word of God specifically? How can I prepare to hear sermons from the Word of God on a regular basis? Here's some some ways number one come ready i want to give you three things to address before you come to hear a sermon address your sin address the scriptures address your sleep let's start with your sin james chapter 1 verse 21 says this therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls There's a kind of blaringness that sin has in your life that disables you from hearing the Word of God. And if you're clasping on to your sin, you're going to have a very hard time grasping the Word of God when it's given to you. Which is why James says, put away the filthiness from your life. Repent of it with humility and meekness so that you can receive the Word of God. I would encourage you to spend some time on Saturday before you're getting ready to come to church. To examine your heart. Not to indulge in impure things. Worldly things. But rather prepare your heart and mind to hear the word of God by confession of sin. A humility ready to receive. Address your sin. Secondly, address the scriptures. I think it's a good thing. Practical thing. Before you come to listen to the word of God on Sunday. To make sure you know what's being preached that morning. And if you know the passage, get your Bible open and read it. Read it with your family before you get to church. Think about it a little bit. Pray through it. Start processing it beforehand. I remember hearing a story about an um, ordinary pastor preaching the Word uh, week in, week out. And one Saturday night, he's uh, looking over his sermon notes, and he gets a phone call, a number he doesn't recognize. He picks it up, and it's a, it's a pastor on the other line, but it's a famous it's one of those pastors that writes books and, and speaks at conferences that every other pastor recognizes this name. And he hears and he re- gets this guy on the other line. He's kind of shocked. He's a little bit, whoa, why are you calling me? Well, the big name pastor basically says, hey, I'm in town with my son. And uh, I'm speaking at a conference nearby uh, throughout the week. But I wanted to come into your church on this Sunday. And the guy just gets super nervous. You're coming to my church. I'm going to preach to you. You should be preaching to me. And so he's a little bit nervous. He said, okay, well, what, how can I how can I help you? And the big name pastor says, I just want to know what text you're preaching on. Give me the text you're preaching on. I'm going to read it with my son. We're going to pray over it. And we're going to be there to worship with your church family tomorrow morning. It was a lesson that pastor never forgot because he learned always to be studying with his family the word of God before They came to hear it preached. Address your sin to be ready. Address the scriptures to be ready. Third, address your sleep. (laughs) Insofar as you can. Some of you work jobs where you're up late Saturday night. God will give you the grace to do what you need to do on Sunday morning. But some of us piddle away the hours late Saturday night, and then we wonder why we're not getting anything out of church Sunday. I think there's a wisdom thing here. This is not law, but it, I think it's a matter of wisdom that we want to give God our best when we're coming to hear His Word. And so we want to prepare Sunday, for Sunday morning by preparing on Saturday night. So first, come ready. Secondly, raise your expectations. Raise your expectations about the Word of God. Let me just remind you what the Word of God is. Watch this. Have you forgotten what the Bible actually claims to be? It's a sword that pierces, Hebrews 4. It's a seed that causes new life, 1 Peter 1. It's a mirror that reveals, James 1. It's milk that nourishes the soul, 1 Peter 2. It's a lamp that shines onto our path, Psalm 119. It's a fire that consumes. It's a hammer that shatters, Jeremiah 23. The Word of God is powerful. And every time you come and you hear a sermon that's preaching the Word of God, you are putting yourself... In a collision course with the most powerful force in the universe. The force that created the universe. You want to raise your expectations. The preacher might be average. But his message, if he's preaching the word, is not. And so we come with high expectations that the word is at work. Third, ask, seek, knock. In other words, pray. Pray like the psalmist open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law. Pray that God would give you ears to hear. Pray that God would open not only your eyes, but the eyes of the others at the church. Come prayerful forth. Listen with your church. I'm so thankful for live streams and podcasts and pre-recorded videos, and they serve a purpose, and certainly this time of Uh, This season, they've served a great purpose for all the people who have had to stay home. We're thankful that we've been able to do that. But there is no substitute for real, in-person, sitting with your church family listening. There's no substitute for that. Uh, Now, to illustrate, we'll do this. Some of us like listening to sermons uh, in, in our earphones or in the car. Many of us like doing that, right? We'll listen to uh, on our way to work or we'll listen to it while we're at home or whatever. And uh, let me ask you this. If you're listening to a, a, a sermon, Paul Washer is just convicting you. Steve Lawson is just preaching at you and you're like, i got to change my life. And you take those earbuds out after the sermon's over. Who's going to hold you accountable? Who's going to ask you if you're applying those things? No one else knows you heard that. Just you. Now, you might benefit from it and, and, and translate that into action. But there's something unique about sitting around here. And you look around at all the people and they all go, I know he heard that. And he knows that I heard that. We both heard that. We got to do something about this together. We can't act like, you know, we all are hearing different things. We're all hearing this. And as we look around, we're saying, we're all going to try to help each other apply these things. This is what Christopher Ashe writes in his little booklet, Listen Up. He says, when we listen together, you know what messages I've heard, and I know what messages you've heard. I've heard it. You know I've heard it. I know that you know I've heard it. And you expect me to respond to the message just as I hope you will expect. You will, or I hope you to expect you will. And so we encourage one another and stir up one another to do what the Bible says. This, by the way, is why our church stays after so long sometimes. It's because we're talking about the things we've learned. and We're encouraging one another and we're asking about our lives and how we're applying it to our lives. Here's a fifth tip for hearing well. Open your Bible. When you're listening, follow along. Be like the Bereans who as they were hearing the apostles, they were checking everything that they said against the scriptures, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. And sixth and last, how to hear well, obey today. I have often, when I was more in the position of listening to sermons than giving them, I would write somewhere in my notes, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Just as a constant reminder of what I was supposed to do with what I was hearing. And I would try to think about what what action I can do As a result of hearing this, it could be giving God praise. It could be getting on my knees to pray. It could be reaching out to encourage. It could be something else I'm not even thinking of. But there are endless applications to the Word of God if we have time to think about them. Obey today. As Hebrews says, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. How many sermons have bonked up against your head and then fallen to the floor totally unapplied? Too many in my own life. Too many in my own life. But rather, what we ought to be thinking about is what must I do with this? All Scripture is intended to transform us, to remove us from a life following sin and guide us in the paths of righteousness. It is all for life change. What do we do with what we hear? These are great questions. And I would encourage you not to rest tonight, not to lay your head on the pillow and go to sleep until you've asked yourself the question, what am I going to do differently? How does this change my life? How do I apply these things? Talk over with your family, maybe your children, your wife or your husband, and think about what it means to hear, to listen to the Word of God. This parable teaches us that the state of our soul is revealed in how we respond to the Word of God. Are you listening? Let's pray. So Lord, we want to do all we can to hear your Word. And we confess at the same time that you are the one that gives sight to the blind. You're the one that gives ears to hear. We are utterly needy. We are desperate. And so we call upon you. I pray that anyone here that is a soil that hears without hearing, I pray that you would open their eyes, open their ears, and enable them to hear the gospel perhaps for the first time. And for those of us who are the good soil, we're hearing, we're humbled, we're repentant, I pray even now that you would conform us to be even better hearers, more eager hearers, learners, constant learners, always learning, always growing, allowing your word to transform our lives. And as we do so, I pray that you would use us for your kingdom and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.